0: Hey everybody, join us as we delve into our favorite dark tales and paranormal mysteries.
1: Venture with us beyond the safe places that exist in daylight as we go Beyond Beyond the the
0: Shadows. shadows. True crime,
1: paranormal, hauntings, UFOs,
0: cryptids and unsolved mysteries,
1: conspiracy theories,
0: past lives,
1: reincarnation,
0: and all the like are just a few of the topics that we'll tackle.
1: If it haunts your fucking dreams, then it will be on our show.
2: Shadows where you found me at. You can't see me
0: in the deepest blacks. When your heart starts racing and you see the cracks, all these creepy things that you might attract. All the demons be where the actions at, so listen up if you want it. UFOs, all the ghosts, we got everything that you want and whoa. Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? Hey guys, welcome back to episode 34 of Beyond the Shadows. Welcome back, Shadow people. So the numbers have been uh, pretty flat this week, man. Yeah. I mean, you guys couldn't like, I don't know, listen twice or something. Yeah. We're throwing you
1: a 2 for Tuesday <laughs> bonus anyway, but right?
0: <laughs> I read an article that said that well, you first thing you should do is when your numbers are flat, go online and blame your listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Check.
1: Scapegoat.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so, we're going to try something new this week. We got a new uh, concept. Yeah, we're going to do a new series. What yep. are we calling this one, Ryan? No fucking way. No fucking way. <laughs> it's just those stories that you're like, no yeah. fucking way. It's that two story stuff. When you hear it, you're like, no fucking way that yep. happened. So, you know, a classier show would have a classier title, yeah. but that's yeah. not but, us. <laughs> yeah, no class here. So, uh, all right. What news are we going over? So, there's a story in Vermont. This past week. This is great. Uh, so Eric Edson, uh, fifty-two. I didn't catch where he's from, but he was arrested for burglary in, or in the Burlington, Burlington for burglary yep. in Burlington, and uh, he had a couple means of escape. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be a little embarrassing for the police. Yeah. So he escaped by car first, then bike. A paddleboard. <laughs> Stole a sailboat. A sailboat. Be- <laughs> escaped a by a sailboat. Tractor. <laughs> then he ran on foot and he was eventually arrested after swimming. Yeah. So, so he should have stuck with the vehicle. Yeah, I think they call that the uh douchebag decathlon. <laughs> It's
0: plane, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> they didn't give his yeah. time, but I- I'm
1: actually pretty impressed. Yeah, it was funny. He yeah. sold a sailboat, <laughs> paddleboard. <laughs> He's fleeing the yeah. game wardens and the state police on a paddleboard, uh, and-, and it worked. Yeah, right. And he got away. <laughs> they brought in the coast guard, and he got away. Yeah, all the way up to the coast guard. How embarrassing is that? It doesn't say how it happened, but he escaped a Coast Guard cutter on a (laughs) paddleboard. Feel safe yet, guys?
0: (laughs) He's a shifty dude. Yeah, no kidding. So come visit Vermont. (laughs) (laughs) Any of our Vermont listeners, if that guy's related to you or if it is you, (laughs) thumbs up. (laughs) Yeah, definitely write in with some pictures and stuff. Yeah, we're going to come. We'll tell your story
1: in the fire pit. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. All right, guys. We'll be uh, right back with uh, No Fucking Way. Do you
0: know what the most frightening thing in the world is? It's
1: here. All right. So our first No Fucking Way tale is about Vesna Vulovic. No fucking way. You nailed the net? I I don't know if I did. (laughs) (laughs) Neither do they. (laughs) At about 2.30 p.m. on January 26, 1972, Flight 367 landed in Copenhagen Airport. The flight was then boarded by its secondary crew, including 23-year-old Vesna Vulovic, after the passengers had deplaned. Vulovic recalled seeing a particularly agitated man exiting the plane. The plane then departed Copenhagen Airport at 3.15 p.m., carrying 28 passengers and crew. Its destination was Belgrade, Serbia. At 4.01, while over what was then Czechoslovakia, which is the Czech Republic today, a bomb detonated in the luggage compartment, tearing the McDonnell Douglas DC-9 into three pieces, separating the fuselage from the wings. It's estimated that all of the passengers and crew were sucked out into the freezing temperatures where they fell to their deaths. Vesna was pinned down by a food cart in the tail end of the fuselage. The wreckage with her still trapped inside fell 33,000 feet or 10,160 meters or 6.31 miles, whichever measurement you prefer. Down to earth where it crash landed in heavy snow at a very favorable angle. Her doctors later said that her low blood pressure would have caused her to quickly pass out when the plane depressurized, which prevented her heart from bursting upon impact. There was a small village nearby the crash site, and Vesna's screams brought out Bruno Honk. He was a former medic in World War II, and he administered first aid until rescuers could arrive. She spent the next several days in a coma, where she had fractured, uh, a fractured skull, two broken legs, a fractured pelvis, three fractured vertebrae, and several broken ribs. She also suffered temporary paralysis below the waist, but she was alive. Wow. And 10 months later, she would actually walk again. Uh, She suffered a permanent limp after this just due to the twisting of her spine, but, I mean, the fact that she lived and then (laughs) walked again is insane. It was only six miles up. I know. Six miles. In her home country of Yugoslavia, she became a national icon. She continued working for the airline, although she was moved to a desk job as they feared her presence on a plane would be a distraction. (laughs) (laughs) It was later determined that a suitcase bomb in the luggage compartment had caused the explosion. No one was ever arrested for the crime, but authorities suspected a Croatian terrorist group of the crime. In 1985, she was recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records for the highest fall ever survived without a parachute, and she was presented with an award by Paul McCartney. She passed away in 2016 at the age of 66, but her record will likely never be passed. 6.31 miles without a parachute.
0: Wow! Holy shit! Holy shit! And <laughs> well, better yet, no fucking way. <laughs> yeah, no fucking way. Yeah, was a, that's insane. Wow, it is not coming down slow. Not oh, nothing, yeah. just straight down. I mean, yeah, they think cool it, was like, it. it was like
1: it was like a bunch of things combined <clears> to like a let her survive. I mean, obviously she got messed up, but. <clears throat> I kind of saw it drawn out once. It just kind of fell like on the right angle on the hillside into the deep snow. You know, there's Everything a couple has things, to yeah. be just perfect. Yeah. A lot of things like had that. to line up for Don't get me wrong. She fall. was messed up yeah. pretty
0: bad. But
1: She doesn't remember any of it. She doesn't remember the next couple of months after that. And I think that's probably for the best. Why the hell would you want to remember that? You know what I mean? But that uh, the food cart pitting her down actually saved her life. Otherwise, she would have been sucked up with everybody else. Wow.
0: that's not, How old was she when that happened? 23. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> no fucking way. Hmm. All right, so my story is about Lawn Chair Larry. Larry Walters was born in Los Angeles, California on April 19th, 1949. He lived a pretty normal life, other than he had always been a little bit different from the other kids because of his extreme passion for flight. But Larry didn't just want to fly. He wanted to fly using balloons. He claimed it start when he was, started when he was a child at Disneyland. While at the park, he saw a lady who was holding what seemed to be like hundreds of Mickey balloons. He remembered thinking, I bet if you had enough of those, it could lift you up. I remember thinking that same thing. Yeah, every, 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 every kid, kid, kid has thought yep. that. One day, he was in the Army-Navy surplus store when he saw a weather balloon near the ceiling. This was the very early ideas for Larry's plan. As a kid, he experimented with hydrogen. He made his own hydrogen gas from a homemade hydrogen generator.
2: So... In the dark forest lies a secret, told in broken stories by those who are poor witness, a monster, a murder, a long-forgotten homestead. I'm on the search for the ghosts who haunt these places, and I want you to come along. Welcome to Tales, Trails, and Taverns. Here I take an active approach to finding places that people might warn you not to go to. Haunted trails, abandoned towns, old taverns where you might catch a glimpse of a long-deceased patron. Look, you're probably not gonna find me trekking through Arizona looking to have a run with a skinwalker, and you certainly won't catch me playing with a Ouija board. But I have spent at least the last 10 years seeking out creepy, haunted, and abandoned places to explore. So lace up your boots, grab a working flashlight, And join me as I tell the tales, hike the trails, and grab a cold pint at the local tavern. You can find the podcast on Apple, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You can find show updates on Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Facebook, and YouTube. And also check out the blog at tailstrailsandtaverns.com. And now, I hope you enjoy the rest of the show.
0: Not what I was doing when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) shit. He would inflate balloons with it and send them out with notes attached to them, hoping people would write back. Nobody ever did. <laughs> <laughs> After high school, he tried to join the U.S. Air Force. He wanted to be a pilot like dear old dad, but Larry's eyesight was shit. So there was no, that was a no-go. He did later join the Army as a cook during Vietnam, but not the same. No, not, not at all. You don't get in, to use balloons in the kitchen. <laughs> in 1972, Larry began seeing his girlfriend, Carol. He told her of his ideas about flying balloons, but she was not on board. Ten years later, in 1982, Larry still wanted to make this happen. Carol now was on board, probably because she was sick and tired of hearing this shit. <laughs> Can you ten years and one? <laughs> she encouraged Larry to go skydiving first. But that just wasn't enough for Larry. But he did end up purchasing a parachute for his upcoming flight. Larry and his friends started planning for his flight. First, they had to purchase everything. They bought 55 helium cylinders, weather balloons, a CB radio, an altimeter, jugs of water, and a BB gun. All the things you could possibly need for a successful flight. (laughs) His plan was to connect 42 weather balloons to a lawn chair. He also attached water jugs to the side of the chair to use for ballast. Each weather balloon was about 8 feet in diameter and could lift about 12 pounds. So if you do the math, he was way more than what he needed. I don't think you want to cut it that close. You know? I don't <laughs> no, you don't it. want to. <laughs> They inflated the balloons in Carroll's backyard. This, of course, attracted attention and the police were called. Some Karen called the police because of balloons in the backyard. (laughs) When they arrived, they told the police that they were actually using the balloons for a commercial the next day. July 2nd, 1982, Larry's dream would come to fruition. They attached the 42 balloons to the chair, water jugs to the side of the chair for weight and balance. Larry had all his equipment, including a BB gun, a sandwich... And a couple beers. <laughs> <clears throat> you can't fly without the yep. beers, right? He wore his parachute and a life jacket that his friend got for him just in case he ended up over the ocean. Remember, he's in Los Angeles. At first, he he was tethered to a car. The plan was to go up about 100 feet, make sure everything was working okay. Once okay, he would cut his tether, and away we would go over the Mojave Desert and enjoy life on his balloons. Mission accomplished. Once they let Larry go, he was traveling so fast that the tether snapped and away went Larry, (laughs) traveling at 800 feet per minute. As they watched Larry go, within minutes, Larry wasn't wasn't anything but a small dot in the sky. Larry took off so quick that his glasses fell from his face to the ground. (laughs) Larry was communicating with his girlfriend Carol with the CB radio. You can hear the panic in Carol's voice as Larry sped away. If you don't have your glasses, you might as well come down. <laughs> but no worries, people. Larry had a spare a pair spare with him, so he was able to see just fine. But Larry was not headed towards the Mojave Desert like he had planned. Instead, he headed off towards the sea, towards Long Beach. <laughs> see, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Everyone on the ground was in a panic, but not Larry. Larry was loving it. He said he could see everything, the ocean, the coastline, Catalina Island, the whole shebang. As Larry was floating along, he noticed a small plane flying below him. (laughs) Larry was climbing at quite the rate. He was actually getting so high that he had to do something. Larry was uh, quickly reaching 16,000 feet.
1: God damn it.
0: Larry's original plan was only to go up about 800 to 1,000 feet, <laughs> but he was so high that he managed to enter the uh, federal airspace near Long Beach Airport. He was spotted by several pilots. One pilot said, quote, this is TWA 230 at 16,000 feet. We have a man in a chair attached to balloons <laughs> at <laughs> our 12 o'clock position. The tower said they took his report tongue-in-cheek and reported to the next flight that passed by that there's a group of balloons off to your right around 13,500 feet. And oh, by the way, there may or may not be a man attached to them. (laughs) The second plane radioed back and said, yes, those are balloons, and uh, yes, there is a man attached to them. (laughs) Now at this height, Larry reported that he was starting to have trouble breathing due to the low pressure. So Larry got out his Red Rider BB gun and shot his eye out. <laughs> it's not like his parents didn't <laughs> warn him. No, actually, he took out his BB gun pistol and began strategically shooting balloons. He shot seven balloons and managed to keep his chair balanced. Larry placed the gun in his lap and took out his altimeter to see if he was descending at all. At this point, Larry was hit with a gust of wind, causing him to drop his gun. Now flying at 16,000 feet, Larry began to think that he may be forced to jump out and parachute to the ground. But luckily for Larry, he did begin to descend. Larry had been in flight for an hour and a half at this point point, as we, and was beginning to descend rapidly. Once he got to 2,000 feet, he began to release water from the jugs to slow his descent. Larry flew over a gentleman's backyard who was chilling, watching Larry as he came down. This man watches Larry came down and became entangled in the power lines behind his <laughs> house. <laughs> he asked Larry, "You need any help?" <laughs> Larry later stated that he saw the lines coming and thought, "This is it. Please, Lord, don't let me get fried." Oh, he's got jugs of water and he's on the power <laughs> lines. What can up go up in wrong? The power there? lines. The police and fire arrived. They had the power cut to the neighborhood and was be able to get Larry was able to get Larry down unharmed. The police wanted to arrest Larry, but didn't know what crime he had committed. They let him know they let him go, but told him he'd be hearing from the FAA. <laughs> Larry did get a fifteen hundred dollar fine from the FAA. They wanted to find him four thousand for unauthorized use use of an aircraft but couldn't because it wasn't actually an aircraft. Larry soon after had his 15 minutes of fame. He did the late night talk show circuit. For some time after this, he became an inspirational speaker. The Smithsonian Institute wanted Larry's chair for display, but Larry had already given it to a kid who was a huge fan of his. Eventually, after Larry's death, Jerry, the child who who got the chair from Larry, donated it to the Smithsonian, where it remains on display to this day.
1: That's awesome. So
0: that's the story of Lawn Chair Larry.
1: No fucking way. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Guy goes up with beer in a lawn chair with balloons, sandwich. gets fined in a sandwich, and he ends up giving inspirational speeches on the talk show circuit. Yeah, they said they did it. Yeah. For
0: a while, he was the he was the shit until he felt, you know, yeah. people kind of forgot about what he did. But yeah, he did that for a while. Actually, it's, he, it's a pretty sad ending to it. Larry ended up, I think he, way later on in life, I think he ended up killing himself. But. You know, he has some other issues, yeah. but, but no, what a, what a story, That's man. What a, hell a of a crazy story. Yeah. He had a dream and he went <laughs> for it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Larry's not playing. No.
1: Good for you, Larry. Screw the FAA. Right? chair, Larry forever. <laughs> Good story. So in November of 1950, the war in Korea was well underway when the Chinese entered the conflict. 120,000 of them came across the border to surprise and surround the U.S. Marines stationed in the Chosen Reservoir area. Along with the troops from the U.N., they numbered about 30,000 in total. The U.N. troops, however, were able to break free and withdraw to Hung Nam. The Marines were left in temperatures well below freezing, which was affecting their equipment. The roads froze, and the tanks' fuel lines were beginning to rupture. They were also critically low on the mortar shells, which they desperately needed to defend themselves. At the time, it was common to use code names when making requests. The mortar shells were codenamed Tootsie Rolls, and so the request went out and they waited. When the airdrop was finally made, sure enough, they found the Tootsie Rolls. Not mortar shells, but actual candy Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> <laughs> These soldiers were cut off and surrounded, low on ammo and with equipment that was breaking down, and someone sent them candy. (laughs) It could have been a disaster, but they proved to be resourceful. The Marines chewed on the Tootsie Rolls and softened them, then used the material to plug the holes in the fuel lines. The cold air quickly solidified the material, sealing the holes. With the tanks up and running again, they attempted their escape. They took heavy casualties, but eventually did make their way out of the chosen river area. Those few who made it out called themselves the chosen few. And they owed it all to bravery, ingenuity, and candy. (laughs) No fucking way. That's crazy. Imagine being the guy hand on the radio at, at HQ, though. I mean, they're asking for – they're surrounded. They're telling you their their situation. He's like, oh, a Tootsie Roll. That's what they asked for. I don't know. Send them a fucking bag of candy. How did they even have that many Tootsie Rolls sitting around at headquarters? Oh, dude. The military's <laughs> got fucking candy on candy. That's when,
0: crazy. When we were in Desert Storm – Yeah. Or just after Desert Storm, every, every candy company uh, would send boxes upon boxes – you know, they would send
1: stuff like that to the military. they donate boxes, so there was that, candy everywhere. i could assume that these guys that are under fire, though, that's not what they're asking oh, for. No, no. <laughs> and He's... can
0: I get a Mars bar?
1: <laughs> the fact that they made it work is just insane. Wow. That's funny. Good story. <laughs> All right, so finally we have the sad tale of Elmer McCurdy. December of 1976, the TV show The Six Million Dollar Man was filming in Queens Park, Long Beach, California. The show was filming a scene inside of a funhouse, and in between takes, the show's art director tried to adjust the position of a dummy hanging from a noose in the background. The dummy swung back and forth, and the wax arm snapped off and fell to the floor. When they tried to put it back, they horrifyingly realized that it wasn't a wax dummy. The emaciated arm had bones sticking out of it. The coroner was called in, and upon examining the corpse, it was discovered that the man was killed by a turn-of-the-century bullet. The corpse now weighed about 50 pounds. With a little bit of research, they realized that this unfortunate individual was Elmer McCurdy, a turn-of-the-century outlaw, and the funhouse was only the final stop on a long journey that occurred after his death. McCurdy was born in 1880 and began an extremely unsuccessful life of crime. During one train heist, he drastically overestimated the amount of explosives needed to open a safe and destroy the whole safe, (laughs) containing $4,000. He made off with $150 in melted silver. On another occasion, he was unable to light the fuse to blow open a a bank's vault and instead made off with about $100 in coins. He went into hiding after this fiasco and resurfaced to rob a train reported to be carrying over $400,000. That's a shitload of money back then. Oh, yeah, it is. He, however, robbed the wrong train <laughs> <laughs> and made off with 46 bucks and some whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> <Law> professional <management. laughs> criminal, yeah. <here. laughs> He's good. He's yeah, good at what yes. he does. <laughs> Lawman eventually tracked him down and after a shootout he was killed. He's obviously as good with a gun as he is with robbery. <laughs> <He's> Top notch. <laughs> In Pawhuska, Oklahoma, funeral director Joseph L. Johnston, Johnson, did the embalming. However, no one turned up to claim the body. The body had been treated with an arsenic-laced ultra preservative that would allow him to stay lifelike almost indefinitely. He was posed with a gun at his side at the funeral parlor, when visitors would pay five cents to see the body, and they would put the coins inside his mouth like a vending machine. <laughs> they just brought his ass up? <laughs> yeah, they posed him just oh, sitting there with like wow. guns and stuff. So, they, I mean, the didn't, guy, they didn't hand the guy the money; they
0: put it in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that guy did. I mean, he did a hell of a job embalming this yeah, guy.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Johnson's kids like to put roller skates on the body and wheel him around the house. <laughs> It's like fucking Weekend at Bernie's with this guy. (laughs) Carnival owners came out far and wide to try to purchase the body, but it wasn't for sale. Johnson was making way too much money from it. Eventually, McCurdy's brothers turned up to claim their brother's body and give him a proper burial. However, they were not his brothers, but two carnies. (laughs) (laughs) And he went on the road for the next 50 years.
0: He became a carny.
1: <laughs> he was put in a freak show in a carnival amongst many names such as the bandit who wouldn't give up, the outlaw who would never be captured alive, the embalmed bandit, the famous Oklahoma outlaw, the mystery man of many aliases, and finally the 10,000-year-old man. He was sold from show to show traveling, traveling all over. With each sale, the memory of who he had been in life or the fact that he was an actual body at all became cloudier. He was acquired by Hollywood and used as promotional material for a movie about drug use called Narcotic. And with the condition of the body, he was advertised as a morally bankrupt dope fiend. (laughs) I guess. He was then a prop in a carnival-themed horror movie called She Freak. He was then sold to a Hollywood wax museum who decided not to display him due to the rapidly uh, deteriorating condition of the body. It was no longer known that he was an actual body at this point and he made his way to the funhouse at Queens Park laugh where he hung around for the next 4 years before being discovered. 4 years? He was in the He was in the funhouse for 4 years. Wow. He was finally laid to rest in 1977, 66 years after his death to make <laughs> sure he stayed buried. Three feet of concrete was poured on top of his body. (laughs) Did they think he was a a vampire? (laughs) (laughs) I know they wanted to make sure people didn't dig his ass up again. (laughs) No fucking way, man. That's great. (laughs) Or not for poor (laughs) No, yeah. It didn't work out so good for Elmer McCurdy. Poor Elmer. That had to be creepy (laughs) being that art director guy that went to pick up the body like you, they thought it was a dummy and then you're like oh my god no kid sticking
0: out. all the oh, rest baby. of them knew he yeah. wasn't and they did all that shit i know him. that's the kids rolling around they knew he was a hundred
1: percent and the best part is the guy that the dad had
0: no problem with it <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to sell it because the kids was having too much fun with Elmer. <laughs>
1: yeah oh, i guess those, not... those are days without the internet no tv you had to, you had to <laughs> something find something entertain you, something to keep you busy <laughs> i guess Put, put real roller skates on the corpse, <laughs>
0: <Just> <laughs> Dad. Don't we're bother Dad, me. we're bored.
1: <laughs> go play with Elmer. <laughs> Throw rocks at him or something. <laughs> so that was this episode. of no fucking way, we're running sh- uh, low on fire pits. Hint, hint. So we're gonna skip for these two special episodes. Yeah, for the t- for the specials, we're gonna,
0: we're gonna go without some fire pits. So, but we are gonna drop two. So, yeah,
1: if you guys like this episode, there's another one with it. So check them both. Part two
0: is coming out here and. It's already out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys.
2: Later.